Everyone bring your umbrellas. It's raining squids. Welcome back to the Watchmen podcast, where we recap and review every episode of the hit HBO show Watchmen. Today is the series and or season finale. Episode 9, See How They Fly, directed by Frederick E.O. Toy, written by Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof. Frederick E.O. Toy is the go-to HBO guy, executive producer of Westworld, and the he, he's directed a lot of Westworld. He is an executive producer. He's one of the main guys running Westworld. They weren't working, apparently, at that moment, so they brought him in to do the, as you said, series or season finale of Watchmen, because uh, that's up in the air. We don't, we don't know. We have no idea what it's going to be. Although, as I said last week at the end of the episode, when they did the next episode preview, they did say they called it the season finale, so who knows? Right, Damon Lindelof has been talking in many interviews. He's like, I'm going on vacation in December. Where I'm done, I made the show. If I have a good idea, perhaps we'll come back for season two. Perhaps a season two will happen, and it won't even be about me or with me. This episode was written by him and Nick Hughes. Nick Hughes being on the writing staff for The Leftovers and Alias and Maniac. You know, Damon and Nick Hughes coming together making an hour and eight minute long series slash season finale. Also, by the way, I start these podcasts every time with everyone bring your umbrellas. It's rain and squids. But as we'll get into, yeah, umbrellas won't be useful this time around, huh? Yeah, bring your armored car. Bring your lead-lined Dr. Manhattan phone booth. Or perhaps just like a pelican case in Angela's case. Hey, can I make a prediction about this podcast, James? What's that? I predict that you will believe that the series is good overall, but you'll have things in this episode that annoyed you. And then I also predict that even though those same things annoyed me, I'll want to lean the other way, fight for the other side of the audience, even though I think those things were all so annoying. And by the end of this podcast, we'll have a conversation about how, you know, it was really good up until certain points and certain moments. And I'll be like, you know, just like you have to just like enjoy things. And you'll be like, yeah, but like this thing was weird and uh, this thing shouldn't have happened. You know, this one very thing in very particular. And I'll be like, come on. Yeah, there was also some cheese in this episode that uh, there hadn't been prior cheesy moments. Oh, you don't like cheese? I'm a huge fan of cheese, so I mean, we're not talking about cheese the food, are we? We're talking about cheese the feeling. So in 1985, Adrian Veidt prepares his video for Robert Redford. He says it's November 1st, so I, I guess he's already launched the squid. And Lady True's mom who I think is played by the actress who plays Bien, just like with aged up makeup, sneaks into his office and grabs a vial of his semen and self-inseminates her uh, her own womb. So Lady True is Adrian Veidt's actual daughter. You last time were like, you know, perhaps Adrian Veidt was her inspiration, her mentor maybe, but we who could have seen this coming, right? That... Her, his actual daughter is Lady True against his will. Right. And I, at first I thought this was another instance of retconning because everyone who helped him with the squid plan was murdered. But apparently she snuck away in the middle of the night is what Lady True tells us later on. 
Right. As she's inseminating herself, looking at the painting of Alexander the Great, behind which there are vials of ejaculate that she has stolen, as she is a thief, Adrian will call her later on. She looks up at Alexander the Great and says, fuck you, Ozymandias. And I was like, yeah, fuck you, Ozymandias. In 2008... Lady True has hiked her way to Antarctica, it seems. She pounds on the door. And then he's like, you can't use my bathroom. (laughs) Eventually, she says, oh, I just want to thank you for saving the world with your awesome killer squid plan. And he lets her in. She butters him up, James. I don't think she exactly feels that way, but she needs to get in the door. It's very cold out there. Inside, she explains how she needs to have a $40 billion loan so that she can build a quantum centrifuge, which she will use to kill Dr. Manhattan, steal his plans, absorb his powers, and save the world. And actually, I'm your secret daughter. My mom stole your cum. And Adrian's like, nah, I'm not going to do that for you because I'm super mad at your mom. And also, you should do it for yourself. Right. As his parents died, they left him a large inheritance that he then gave away to prove to the world that he could do it himself. Start from nothing and become something. So that is what you will do, illegitimate daughter of mine. You will make something of yourself by yourself, and I am not going to be helpful. She knows that Dr. Manhattan is not on Mars and that that's a looped video keeping the amateur sleuths away and that he's actually on Europa. So... She got in the door by saying he's the smartest man on Earth and she's the smartest woman on Earth. And now she is proving that fact by knowing a whole lot that Adrian doesn't even know and saying that, you know, I am going to take Dr. Manhattan's powers. I'm going to make all the nukes disappear. And now just give me like $48 billion. And he's like, oh, no, thank you. Yeah, she also mentioned she sent a satellite over to take pictures of Europa, and it'll get there, you know, in exactly this many years and this many hours on this day. During this conversation, he, Adrian Veidt also mentions, Redford won't even return my calls. He says he would have won even without my help, you know, as if some cowboy could become president, which is a direct line from the comic and also funny because, you know, Ronald Reagan. And But as you just said... She's sending a probe up to Europa. He knows the exact time and date that it's going to take pictures of said moon. So when he's been, like, you know, bombing himself out of his self-prison that he sent himself slash Dr. Manhattan sent him to and then, you know, forgot about him. He has been waiting for this exact time to write out a message for Lady True to see and hopefully come and save him. Back in the present, or rather, back in what we understand to be the current timeline of Adrian Veidt's story, he's locked in the jail cell with the horseshoe, and he's got a disgusting, moldy birthday cake in front of him, and he just seems to be counting down the hours, and a rocket ship lands. He ceremoniously blows out the candles that are not lit, letting us know that most likely another year has passed. The rocket ship comes down. Lady True has sent him a vehicle to leave Europa the way he believed that would occur. He goes through his Shawshanked tunnel that he made with a sharpened horseshoe. He's dressed up in his Ozymandias outfit, and he gets on out there. The 
term rerun is running through his craw as it's been stuck in there for years and years. Lady True said, you know, you're using these squids to rain down upon the world. It's a bit of a rerun. You did the one big thing, but that was kind of just you doing it over and over again. And that guile, that moxie has reignited his flame over these last eight years, kind of going insane on a moon. And he goes out to get onto the rocket ship, but the game warden gets in his way. Game Warden shows up and shoots him, and we get another rerun. He catches the bullet. That's his thing, dude. He he catches bullets. That's his, like, one thing that he does. That is something that apparently legendary kung fu masters could, you know, said they could do, but I, I doubt it's actually possible. I doubt it's possible for Adrian Veidt to do it as well, even when he was younger. But you know what? This is a superhero story, so we believe what is told to us or what is shown to us. He gets up, the game warden attacks him, he stabs the game warden with the sharpened horseshoe, and then we have a truly sad moment, sad and funny simultaneously, where the game warden tells him, why did you make me wear the mask, letting us, the audience, know that the game warden was created by Adrian Veidt just as something to have fun with so he wouldn't go insane, so he had a perhaps worthy adversary. The game warden, smiling, asks Adrian Veidt, was I a worthy adversary? And Adrian Veidt says, no, and then lets him die. And I was like, oh my god, that's savage as fuck. Right, and then he just say, well, you did actually, you know, you did a pretty good job putting on this show, but he was already dead at that point. Yeah, he's dead. He walks through a line of Crookshanks and Phillips as they say, goodbye, master. The last Crookshanks puts a crown on his head as he walks into the rocket ship, which then takes off. And he's like, wow, I'm just like standing in the middle of this. I am unburdened and I, I should be holding on to something, right? If I were Adrian at this point, I would have pointed at one of the Phillipses or one of the Crookshanks and been like, hey, you, uh, you're the master now. Yeah, exactly. If there is a season two, I hope we do get to see what happens on Europa when no god comes back. Dr. Manhattan's gone. Adrian Veidt is gone. They're just free to do whatever they want, but they're not built to do anything but to serve. What happens in a world where there is no master to serve the last Crookshanks, as I said, says Godspeed, and he takes off to preserve him. He gets sprayed with gold with his hands on his hips to be preserved. So he was that statue, James, in the Vivarium episodes ago. Yeah, which is pretty funny that she let him stay in there for however long between when that rescue occurred and the Millennium Clock turned on. You know, didn't let him have any time to himself in the interim. No, it, she was in charge. She wants him there for something very specific, and she just puts him in her garden. It's He's a statue. He's, he's an ornamental piece of her garden. On the date of the Millennium Clock activation, Lady True takes Bianne into the unfreezing chamber where they're going to unfreeze Adrian from his carbonite and... She drops. She she wants to drop the "You're My Mom" bombshell on her, but Bian already figured it out. So, no awkward conversation there. Right? She says, "I need to tell you something because Adrian might say something," and Bian's like, "Oh, I know. I'm your mom." And in that moment, Lady True looks at her like she's proud. She's proud that her own mother figured out she's her own mother. They do unfreeze Adrian. She explains everything to him. She's kind of lording it over him. Like, ha ha ha, I had to come rescue you even though you didn't want to call me daughter and you had to call me daughter. So now you kind of look like a little bitch. And uh, 
Yeah, now you're going to come watch me do my ultimate triumph. <laughs> right. She gives him different clothing because she thinks the superhero outfit kind of looks stupid on him. And him, as an old man, deserves some other clothes. As he was taking off from Europa, we saw the message that he wrote out. We thought it was going to be Save Me Dr. Manhattan, as we did see in previous episodes, Save Me D. It is Save Me Daughter. So she says, it must have hurt to cave like that, as you said you would never call me daughter, but then had to, to, you know, let me, make me, come save you from Europa. I bet you feel sad about that. I hope you're sad. He takes one look at Bian and he's like, oh, you cloned your mom? What? (laughs) Yeah, and Lady True's like, I told you he might say something. They go to the Dr. Manhattan phone booth in the center of town, and this is actually some of my favorite banter of the show so far. They meet the newsstand guy, who's, you know, he's, he's like the updated 2019 version of the 1985 newsstand guy. And he's like, wow, you're Lady True. Hey, you look like Ozymandias. And uh, they just, uh, Adrian asks where he thinks Ozymandias might be. He's like, yeah, I think he walked into the jungle to become Tarzan. And Adrian's upset with that. And I gotta say, I love Newsstand Guy. I wish we had gotten more of him throughout the show. We only got him in two episodes. I know. I really did like Newsstand Guy. It was a great moment to let Adrian know nobody really cares about him. He ghosted. Adrian Veidt did. Uh, He doesn't know he's talking to Adrian Veidt, but he says he ghosted ten years ago. He's old news. And he gives him a story of like walking into the jungle and Adrian Veidt's like, no, that's not what happened. He was stranded on Europa going insane. And uh, the newsstand guy's like, you kind of do look like Adrian Veidt. I mean, like not exactly, but you could do birthday parties and shit. The top of the millennium clock kind of floats off and is now hovering above them in the center of Tulsa. And Adrian starts reciting poetry, I guess. So the Millennium Cock, I said Millennium Cock, (laughs) nice dude, (laughs) nice. So the Millennium Clock, quote unquote, tells time, but not really. It's just something that's going to help her steal Manhattan's powers. So the mystery of the Millennium Clock, I think, is a little damp, a little weird. It's not as cool as I wanted it to be, but it's going to help her steal Dr. Manhattan's powers and, you know, Adrian is there to see it. Her mother, Bien, is there to see it. Her master plan is coming to fruition. At the 7th Cavalry home base, all of the leaders of the Cyclops are arriving, including Joe Keen's dad, Joe Keen Sr. Lori is still captive and bound to a chair, and they're getting word on their radio that basically across town, they're being massacred by Angela when they're trying to bring in Manhattan. But as we know, Manhattan gets involuntarily teleported, and he is about to show up there. Jane Crawford is also there. In this scene, we pretty much figure out that Judd was evil, or at least as evil as Jane was. Judd was in on it. There is no redeeming moment where they were like, I mean, Judd wasn't fully on board, but... So uh, Judd got hung by William. We felt bad because we didn't know exactly if he was evil or not. Pretty evil, probably evil. Yeah, at one point Joe says that, yeah, Jane and Judd Crawford pretended to be friends with Dr. Manhattan's family. And I was like, "Oh, they were fake friends. Yeah, Judd had to do cocaine just to be there. <laughs> yeah, right. He had, to, <laughs> he had to do some nose candy just to sing a little bit. The white pony to hang out 
with Regina King's Angela, who is a wonderful host. How dare you? Looking Glass is there, disguised as a member of the 7th Cavalry, and he tells Lori that once he finds a good window of opportunity, he'll get them out of there. Joe Keen Jr. is describing that his original plan was just to keep having versions of the White Knight happen. He hates Robert Redford. Robert Redford took their guns, made them say sorry. The pendulum swung so far the other direction into a liberal world after Richard Nixon was in power. And this is the ultimate swing back as Joe Keene Jr. trying to become Dr. Manhattan. The same thing Lady True is trying to do. And the actor who plays Joe Keene in this episode is actually really great. I love this entire monologue. I mean, he's awful, right? The, the character is awful. Yeah, well, he's really hamming it up and having a great time, you can tell. He's like, well, this is my last couple scenes, so I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, he's showing off for his dad. He's showing off for Jane Crawford. He's having a really, really great time before he becomes primordial ooze. Joe explains that the original plan was just to incite a race war, but then when they had the White Knight happening, they found out Dr. Manhattan is a is in Oklahoma because he teleported one of their soldiers away and that he invited Lori to be here uh, as some kind of form of poetic justice that she should be one of the people to see Dr. Manhattan die. Okay, that's fine. Feels a little plot devicey, but her being there does make it better, so fine. And I love Lori in these scenes because she's just taking it all in stride. She's like, oh, is that that Joe Keene Sr.? That's pretty weird. Yeah, and and Looking Glass is like, don't look at me. And she's like, fine, whatever, dude. And as Angela walks in, going to the cavalry base after breaking some dude's fingers to get to tell her where everyone is, she has a gun. She points it at Joe Keen, and she looks at Lori Blake. She's like, what? You're here? What are you doing? And she's like, oh, just you know, being kidnapped as you do. We should say that this all this time that Doctor Manhattan is locked in the cage, she's kind of mixed up on the timeline i guess they made the cage out of the lithium dr manhattan lithium batteries and it has some kind of effect on him when he's surrounded by it they don't fully explain it probably because it's not fully explainable but at a certain point he's he's in his mind he's talking to Janie slater and then he's back in the interview where he found out he gives people cancer right he is even more unstuck in time than he usually is He can't stay in the present, even as Angela shows up, even looking at his ex-girlfriend, Lori, from across the way. He is sitting there blue, naked, and real messed up. Angela tries to warn Joe that everything she's doing is playing into Lady True's plans and that she's known about the 7th Cavalry and what they plan to do for a long time and that he really definitely should not get into the pod, which is going to grant him Dr. Manhattan's powers. Angela looks around, sees that all the batteries are true batteries, and he's like, yeah, we stole them from Lady True. And she's like, yeah, man, because she let you steal them. Please don't get in that pod. There's nothing good that's going to happen when you get in that pod. Lady True is smarter than you are. Eventually, though, he does step in. They pull the lever, and they all get teleported into the center of town right next to the Dr. Manhattan phone booth. Lady True, Bien, Adrian, all there waiting as Angela, Lori, and Dr. Manhattan show up. Lady True is so psyched that her plan is working. Her mom and dad are there to see it. And Jane Crawford looks out at her. Oh, by the way, 
the thing that happens to Lori back in the day when she was teleported is happening to everybody here. Wade is there as well. He throws up. Everyone is hearing a ringing in their ears. They're all very nauseated. And Dr. Manhattan is on the ground, still very messed up. Lady True explains to Angela that Will traded her Dr. Manhattan in return for her destroying the Cyclops. And this is the culmination of that plan. Lori and Adrian have a great little reunion where he's happy to see her and she's confused to see him. She goes, am I dead? And he's like, no, but the night is young. Lady True opens up the chamber and Joe has been turned into gross bloody sludge. Hilarious. Apparently he took the full brunt of the radiation generated by the teleportation device that sent them here. The sludge goes everywhere as it goes near Lori. She's like, oh, gross, get out of here. It goes also inside the cage. Dr. Manhattan looks down at the red sludge and sees a possible opportunity. The people in charge of Cyclops also look at Joe Keen Jr. His father looks at what his son is now, which is Ooze. They're all pretty sad about it. But also, they're looking up at Lady True, Jane Crawford specifically, as Lady True walks over and is like, I'm about to monologue now. Will wrote this monologue. Everybody sit here and listen to it. And I'm going to tell you about all the bad things that you've just done. She does begin to read the letter from Will. But June is just like, yeah, can you get on with it? I'm in a rush to die, please. <laughs> right. And she seems like kind of psyched. Like, not psyched, but she was smiling, right? And as Lady True is like, I mean okay I, sure that's fine jane loses her smile and is like oh i was really confident in that moment being like whatever just kill me and then she's like okay i'm going to and she's like oh i'm less confident now that i'm definitely gonna die this is what happens when you're kind of mediocre super villains just kind of get totally outplayed by a much better supervillain. yeah i mean big lights shine down on the the top brass of cyclops and they all get it's not incinerated they kind of just turn into nothing right yeah well yeah they get vaporized it looks like right by the way during all this dr manhattan still in the cage hashtag dong watch 2019 is occurring we're seeing even more dong than usual we have shaft we have tip but it's all pretty sad because it's attached to a person who we believe is about to be dead. Nonetheless, Dong. So, John, having a moment of clarity, touches some of the bloody sludge that's crawled into his cage. And by doing that, he's able to teleport the people who are touching the sludge away. Except he leaves Angela. But Wade, Adrian, and Lori all get teleported to Karnak. And at first, they're pretty confused, but Adrian realizes, oh, there's actually a lot I can do to help the situation now. Which Dr. Manhattan knew. He basically sent Adrian into a situation where he could save the day. In his craw is still the phrase rerun. He wants to save the day. He wants to be important again. He was just going insane on Europa for eight years. The world doesn't know that his giant psychic squid killing three million people in New York is what turned the world around and brought peace. 
So, and he was just told by the newspaper guy, like, nobody cares about you. Ten years ago, you disappeared. You're old news. This is another opportunity for him to be the smartest man in the world and save the day. But then we port back from Karnak, and Angela is still there. So Dr. Manhattan chose not to teleport her as well. I think this is the next part, the saddest moment for me in the entire series, where Angela says, you know, you teleported them away. So that they could help, but you didn't teleport me. Why? And he says, I don't want to die alone. Which is super sad. Because he's already died once, kind of. And he did that alone. Yeah, it is very sad. Lady True is raging at him, asking where he sent them. He won't answer her. And so she starts up the machine anyway. And it's kind of like a vacuum that's like sucking him up from above. Angela asks him where he is or when he is. He says that I'm in every moment we were together all at once. So sad. And then you then you scoop some more sad on top of it. And we, I guess we can talk about this a little later. But isn't a cornerstone of Dr. Manhattan's personality apathy, lack of empathy, just kind of being a bland, benign God in the in the middle of what is something that he has seen already. He's seen everything he's ever done. But isn't apathy, like, kind of who he is? Because that's not what he's doing or feeling or, or putting out into the world in this moment with Angela. You could say that at the end of the comic book slash Zack Snyder movie that he kind of snapped out of that. Basically, probably... He, you know, became Dr. Manhattan. Maybe it was cool at first, and then he seems to have sank into decades of total depression and apathy and just trying to do what was expected of him. But then by the end of the story, the original Watchmen story, it kind of seems like he's coming out of that. So was this lack of apathy at all annoying to you, or were you just totally fine with it? I'm not saying it was annoying to me. I was just, like, taken aback a little. I I mean, I, I, I liked it less last episode but now i've kind of accepted it and i kind of feel that like post getting his head smashed in uh dr manhattan has kind of merged with the attributes of cal a little bit he's dr cal hatton sort of almost like a fusion dance kind of character and i i kind of like it so i wasn't that bothered by it to get off track what i got kind of was bothered by was the sort of the happy, eccentric, silly John Osterman Dr. Manhattan that we had at the beginning of episode eight. And now that his death is looming, not as psyched, huh? You With a somber cloud hanging over his head, his ability to be entertaining has strengthened just because we're like, well, I mean, he's not all like jolly and psyched anymore. He's just sad because he knows he's about to die. He knows he has Angela here to watch him die. At least there's that. And, uh, yeah. Again, so, getting yeah. getting into the cheese, as he's being drained by the Millennium Clock, there is a <laughs> an indicator on Lady True's computer, which has a silhouette of a blue stick figure slowly being drained of its essence. And I was just like, come on, man. We did not need that. <laughs> that was not... Uh, we could have put this shit together ourselves. If by stick figure you mean 3D model that has a butt and a dong, then I agree with you. 
But that that was some for me some Zack Snyder shit right there. Like, oh, let the audience know how what percentage of Doctor Manhattan is left, so the the stakes are even higher. Yeah, the audience being spoon fed a bit in that moment. We port back to Karnak, where Adrian Veidt is in full save the world mode. He asks Wade to turn down the temperature on the tiny squids that rain down randomly across the world. He's going to make it a bit less random this time, have it rain down on Tulsa, Oklahoma, very specifically. Another kind of sad moment happens in this right here where Laurie's like, oh, I mean, we could maybe do it in time to save John. And he's like, oh, no, for sure John's already dead. Which is fine by me. You know, I've been trying to kill him for decades, so. Right, my daughter did something I couldn't ever do. Wade is kind of freaking out about all this. This is basically the the room where Adrian constructs all of the things that horrify and torment him. But uh, Adrian totally dismisses Wade when he tries to be confrontational. He's like, shut up, I saved the world. Go, go turn that valve. <laughs> he calls him a hayseed, which I was like, nice, dude. Nice. And honestly, Wade takes it better than I thought he would. Like... He his he's being confronted with the absolute truth. He got most of the truth, and now he's just staring at tiny squids, and he's taking it pretty well. John is almost being fully drained at this point, and Angela tells him that he has to fight it, but uh, he can't, and he declares his love for her as he is fully sucked up into the Millennium Clock. Angela is shot backwards. John, before telling her that he loves her, says, don't touch the light. And we get a slow-mo shot of Angela being pushed backwards by the energy, very much like when she got pushed back by the energy of the bomb that blew up her parents. The sadness in her eyes is palpable. Bien walks up to her and is like, listen, uh, we, we got to get out of here. Something bad and explodey is about to happen so uh we 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 got we got to get out of here and then the phone rings bn picks it up and is like okay it's for you Lori blake is calling to be like hey angela icy squids are about to rain from the sky and they're gonna be like a gatling gun from said sky so get some cover dude lady true steps into the device which will grant her dr manhattan's powers and she's ready to accept them she puts her hands on two consoles and then pew, something shoots right past her and she checks out her hand and a very large circle chunk of her hand is now gone. A bit of uh, stigmata occurs to her with Jesus in the background. She did not see this coming. She looks up the part of the Millennium Clock that is there to help transfer Dr. Manhattan's powers to her is also being shot with icy squids as is everything around her including you know angela bn and all the cops and she looks up to see her fate and she kind of closes her eyes accepting it yes she says in vietnamese as as the squids are fucking crushing everything and the millennium clock's gonna fall down on top of her lady true is just says uh, some Vietnamese words for motherfucker, which are Duma, which is actually a Vietnamese expression I knew because I lived in Ho Chi Minh City for a year. This part was a little odd to me. The icy squids 
goes right through her hand. So they're going fast enough where they can cause death for sure. A few of the workers fall to the ground. A few of the policemen fall to the ground. But Red Scare and Pirate Jenny are also being hit. The squids are going through cars. They are murderous. They're going at a murderous speed. But all the main characters don't get hit or die from them. The squids feel very selective in who they murder. Also, this is a huge trend in this kind of genre fiction where the villain gets destroyed by falling rubble. So many characters have died that way. I believe you're referring to Cersei and Jamie Lannister, which people felt bad about. They wanted their death to be a bit more satisfying than it was. Do you believe that Lady True's death was satisfying? I mean, she didn't get murdered by squids, to be fair. The squids destroyed the orb above her, and then the orb falls on her. Is that satisfying? I I will get into this maybe more at the end of the episode or maybe in our retrospective, but, like, did Lady True deserve to die? I mean, if Adrian Veidt is correct and she's a narcissist who believes that she's going to save the world, believes that she's going to get rid of all the nukes, but then becomes God, becomes unstuck in time, and perhaps a person who chooses or wants to be a God as a actual goal doesn't deserve to be one, and perhaps death is the only way outside of of that inevitability. So does she deserve to die? No, but the world, in my opinion, is probably better with her dead. Like, she killed Cal, I guess, but she also defeated the 7th Cavalry and saved Tulsa, so kind of a wash, maybe? I mean, we don't get to see what she does, though, in the future with her god powers, though, right? We are saved from seeing a genocidal maniac who's a god as well. We have no idea what she would actually do with those powers, so we'll never really know whether or not her death was satisfying if it was for the greater good. But yeah, I mean, as this is all happening, Angela takes a pelican case and doesn't stay in the telephone booth with Bien. She she runs because Blake tells her to, more specifically just like plot devising run because she needs to run to the Dreamland Theater because that's where her kids and William are. But again, the icy squids that are supposed to be murderous and, and go through hands and go through cars doesn't go through a pelican case. It's just basically a pelican ad. Right, and then it doesn't go through the ceiling of the theater or anything like that. Right, it doesn't even smash the windows on the doors of the theater. I'm like, okay, fine. It's just uh, there's some, some plot armor on that part of the city. Actual armor above Angela. The Pelican case. It's, she's just she can't die. She just cannot die. Inside the theater is the broken down set of the Oklahoma production being put on. Will and the kids are there. The kids are asleep on stage. Will's waiting for her. Will explains that everything that transpired was according to John's plan, and that actually John wanted to die, and. He goes on to tell her that being a vigilante, as she must have seen in his memories, only brought him further pain, and that hiding your emotions behind a mask only causes them to fester. And the two of them reconcile, and she invites Will to come stay over at her place, just for a little while. Yeah, just for two days, although we have to assume, as both Will and Angela does, that it's going to be more than two days, and if we do get... A season two, that most likely family bond will be a part of it. He says, you can't heal under a mask. Wounds need air, which is a well-written line for Will to say, 
And Angela looks at him like, that is true. Also, you just killed my husband. I know he like you just told me he wanted to die, but I'm still very bummed about the whole situation. Adrian brings Laurie and Wade to Dan Dryberg's owlship Archie, which was not the owlship they used in episode one, but the one, the original one that the cops based their ship off of. So we get a little clarification there. Uh, it's still here after the events of 1985, and he's going to let them take it and go back to America with it. But Laurie places him under arrest for the crimes that he committed, killing three million people. Adrian says that they're beneath him and they have no right to judge him and that he saved the world. And so Looking Glass knocks him out with a wrench and he smirks at Angela. He's like, he talks too much. And it was just cheese overload. Yeah, pretty cheesy. Wade didn't like his monologuing. She says that he's arrested. And I was like, okay. I mean, and he even points out, like, you've kept this secret for so long. Now is the time. Now I'm arrested. I just saw Rorschach in my mind being like, oh, we're going to arrest him now. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, dude, Rorschach wanted to tell the truth in the first place. And Dr. Manhattan killed him for that. And you were there, Laurie, and you watched it happen. I also think Adrian, in the end, if we ever do get to see him again, will like being caught. The thing that bothers Adrian the most is that the world doesn't know that he quote-unquote saved them by killing three million people. If the world figures out by him being arrested that he did save them, quote-unquote again, he's not dead. Perhaps the adulation that comes, well, also the hate, but the attention nonetheless will be what he was looking for either way. But you're right, to get there, it didn't make a whole lot of sense for Lori to just turn coat and be like, now I have a conscience. Angela takes Will and the kids through the destroyed city to her hideout, where they get into her big car. She drives them home. She puts the kids to sleep. Will tries to console her over John and apologizes for the part that he played in his death, but then also said, you know, Dr. Manhattan probably could have done a lot more with his life than what he chose to do with all his powers. Bien is being consoled in a car by Red Scare and Pirate Jenny. She's probably not going to be all right from this situation. While they were in Milk and Hanoi, Topher realizes that his adopted mother is Sister Knight as he sees her costume. And then they both go home. As you said, Will says, considering what he could do, he could have done more. And I was like, word, word. Angela is cleaning up the kitchen, and she sees that the eggs that she smashed on the floor are there, so she goes to clean them up. I was kind of watching this at the same time as my brother, uh, who, you know, lives a long distance away, but we just happened to be watching it at the same time. And he was like, yeah, that's not actually a good way to clean up eggs. What you should do is uh, pour some salt on them first, and they'll kind of congeal, and then you can pick them up quite easily. That's what you guys were talking about in this moment, the proper <laughs> way to clean eggs. But she finds that one of the eggs that in the case that she smashed is still intact. And we get a very unnecessary and expository voiceover reminding us of what just happened in the last episode when Dr. Manhattan said he could probably put his flowers in an egg. And it's only been a week, but they still got to remind us. Yeah, we get it. They were treating the audience like they were pretty dumb in that moment. I, I understood if she, she's going to eat the egg. She's going to become unstuck in time and godly. I get it. 
So she walks out to the pool. She cracks the egg open and eats it. And uh, then she goes to test to see if she can walk on water like Jesus. But that's the end of the show. Right. It cuts to black an Inception-esque, The Sopranos-esque kind of ending where we are left to our own imaginations whether or not she can walk on the water. But not really. You know, it was set up, it was just spoon-fed to us that if she had the egg that most likely the powers of Dr. Manhattan are going to be passed on to her. Her being in the poster was blue the entire time. She's absolutely Sister Manhattan now. And I don't know, like you said, it's an expository scene that then cuts off the place where we're left to wonder a little bit, but not really. I mean, there was one egg. She smashed the eggs and one didn't get smashed. She is Sister Manhattan. As like five minutes prior to it, I was like, oh, the last scene is going to be her on the pool. Got it. Did we ever get a payoff of don't touch the light? I assume it was just the light that comes down as he explodes, but no... Not really. I mean, did we ever get a payoff for Lube Man? We're going to have to talk about that a little later. There's a PDPedia payoff for Lube Man, but not in the show. Did we ever get a payoff for the mesmerism? No. There are a few payoffs that have just been left up in the air, and I, I have feelings about it. So this was probably my least favorite episode. Still, a good episode. Really great. I liked it. Uh, I would probably just rank it the lowest out of all of them. Not a bad ending actually i like the idea of maybe angela got his powers but it's up in the air but yeah just just to you know a couple of the, the parts of this episode but you know they're making it real obvious they're like okay audience just to don't be too stupid realize what i'm going for here so james when we came into this show the entire conceit of this podcast is that you're a watchman completionist I am a person who just watched the film but has learned a lot of the comic and the context of Watchmen as we kept going. But I have a few questions for you that that I'd like to ask as a Watchmen completionist how you feel once we've gotten to the end of what possibly is the end of the series, if not just the season. Are you Are you ready? Are you ready for my questions? I'm ready. Okay. Do you think killing Dr. Manhattan is something that anyone but Alan Moore should do. I think if you're going to do a Watchmen sequel, you should put Dr. Manhattan in it, which is tricky because also, like, how does anything else get done when you have the omnipotent guy in? And so hiding him away or getting rid of him, especially if the story is going to continue into season two, killing Dr. Manhattan, probably a smart move. Otherwise, it's hard to justify the stakes being high at any given moment because God could just blink in and resolve everything. Yeah, but with Sister Knight or Sister Manhattan being introduced, there is no, to me, version of this where she's not or doesn't have his powers. I don't think it's up in the air. Perhaps she just got a fraction of his powers. Yeah, that's true. But even with 1% of his powers, you're more super than any other person on Earth. So this is basically what we just watched was an origin story for Angela. We watched Sister Manhattan's origin story. So 
even if she got 1% of the powers, doesn't it still stand to reason that it might be a less interesting story? Like even you said, Alan Moore stopped or kind of petered off with Dr. Manhattan being in his story because what are you going to do with an omnipotent dude in your story just kind of railroading everybody? It's the reason why Superman comics aren't very interesting because nobody beats Superman. It's the reason why Dr. Manhattan needs to be put into a lithium cage to be at all interesting because there needs to be stakes like you just said. So does Sister Manhattan even come into season two uh, if it happens, if this is not the end? And does that make it at all interesting? Do we have to port ahead to the future if they ever do a season two? My second question to you is, does the lack of payoffs on the mesmerism thing at all bother you? Or are there any other payoffs that didn't occur that were more egregious than that? I mean, for me, I think the mesmer thing was just it was a way to explain how will could kill judd and and for me that that's all the payoff that was really necessary i did think it would play into the story again somehow but i honestly kind of forgot about it by the end of the last episode anyway so it must have not been that too important for me one thing i did enjoy all the egg stuff i did not know this until my brother pointed it out again i talking to my brother as I was watching this he said uh John Osterman is German for John Easterman right Easter eggs the goddess Ishtar whose symbol is eggs right so that's that's a cool little thing again Lindelof is finding sort of meaning in these things like John Osterman and Hooded Justice that it doesn't even seem to be that Alan Moore had thought of or at least thought all the way through and I don't, I'm just, I'm kind of impressed by his ability to do that. And so I also wondered, like, you know, is what's going on with all this egg stuff? And then they had a really good ending uh, in terms of the egg symbolism by the end of the show. I mean, yeah, yeah. Angela's totally going to get Ebola by just, like, eating a raw egg. Although perhaps her becoming super will uh, will get rid of said disease. Later, she's going she's gonna to find a note by, from Dr. Manhattan saying, like, make sure to eat the egg and the shell at the same time, otherwise you won't get the powers. And she's like, oh, great. Now I just have Ebola. Awesome. <laughs> so my last question to you is, if this finale came after eight seasons, like the Game of Thrones one did, if this was the series finale after nine years of waiting... Would people be more upset about the inconsistencies or the moments that didn't make a whole lot of sense? Were our expectations not risen enough that because we didn't have to wait nine years? This could just be one series, one show, one season where we only had to live this for nine or ten weeks. So uh, we didn't have to wait that long to get to this moment. Would we feel like these problems that this episode specifically had would be more egregious if we had to wait a lot longer. Yeah, and I want to be clear, although I had some issues with this episode and with the last one, I still thought they were great episodes. I think this is, if this is a miniseries, it's probably the best miniseries of all time. And what makes the things that I didn't like about this episode different from the things that I didn't like about all of the last season of Game of Thrones is that this was still clever and original and there were clear through lines that led to where we got here where you know the problems with game of thrones were just you know lazy forced writing and you know uh, my expectations were really high 
I think Damon Lindelof mostly met them. And and in the same way, we're like, yeah, Game of Thrones season eight writing fucking sucked, but the acting was really good. The writing was still really good. All the character moments in the last episode of Watchmen were great, and the performances were really great. I honestly think that Regina King deserves the Emmy for Best Actress, and if she doesn't get it, it's a fucking farce, and the Emmys are garbage, and I'm never going to watch them again. I agree. I also think Jeremy Irons deserves one as well. And let me make really clear, I think this is the best miniseries of all time, if it is a miniseries. I loved this entire show. I have problems with certain moments, but like I said in my question, I believe that if I had to wait nine years, I would feel worse about it, but I didn't. It was entertainment coming at me rapid fire, and I loved every second of it, even if some of the moments were kind of stupid. But, you know, I will also say it is not my favorite Lindelof show. I loved The Watchmen, but I think The Leftovers was better in my mind, Uh, but they were both top-tier television. And you know, I've actually I've I've resolved to watch the leftovers uh, at some point after watching this show and enjoying it so much. I mean, to be fair, all of our audience should watch the leftovers after this thing because it is a really really great show. And Watchmen and the leftovers back to back, they don't give each other context, but they do make you understand the person who made them a lot more, which is pretty cool. But anyway, I I loved this show. I don't want to make anyone think I didn't just because I'm being a little bit critical of the moments that were, as you said, cheesy and weird. But yeah, I I did really enjoy it. It's just a great season of television that the ride was a lot of fun. That end of my sentence didn't feel like the end of my sentence, but it was. Our Twitter followers seem to feel the same way. Lauren at Very Lovely LJ writes, it wrapped up just the way I thought it would, which is just the way I wanted. Except Zero Lube Guy, what the fuck was that? There is a PDPedia article where Lube Pete, Gumby Pete, gets fired from the FBI and a bunch of canola oil is found on his desk as he gets fired. So, Lube Man confirmed. A weird scene to have put in there and then not pay off in any way. Like, it does explain kind of like how Lori was able to pin down Angela and and make comments about the wheelchair and stuff um but uh other than that almost unnecessary right just a bizarre thing to throw in there right and it's something for the audience to be like okay yeah sure but where's lube man and they had to give you that answer on the pdpedia companion piece on hbo and now put in the show but yeah it it is a weird thing i I felt like at the time was you know even people, the Watchmen are being watched, and that was the point of that scene, other than, you know, the awesome point where he covers himself in lube and then goes into a sewer. That was just good television in that moment. But the audience felt a little cheated that Lube Man didn't come back, and so do I. Hashtag justice for Lube Man. I want to see the Blu-rays for this show because I have a inkling that there was a lot of deleted scenes left on the cutting room floor. It seemed to me like they had bigger plans for Petey that didn't make it into the final cut. Bigger plans for a new stand guy, which did not make it into the final cut. Um, and who knows what else. But I think those two characters in particular, it seems to me like their parts were diminished. 
In fact, when the Blu-ray comes out, we should do a Blu-ray retrospective specifically. We'll do a retrospective just for the whole season to talk about that. But you're right. I also want to see the deleted scenes because I know there weren't a lot of deleted scenes on the pilot at the very least. I heard an interview with Damon Lindelof talking about that. But there, like you just said, has to be some deleted scenes from the middle of this series because it doesn't make sense for some of these seems to be hanging like knights in the middle of a chess game. Isaac X at iBot2000 says, awesome ending. Despite it being a little longer than a regular episode, it didn't feel that way. And I agree. I did not notice the extra time. Um, as I did, again, uh, we can never stop shitting on on uh, the last season of Game of Thrones. All of the super long episodes of Game of Thrones were super long and boring. And I was like, holy shit, can this scene where nothing's happening just end already? But I did not notice the uh, amount of time that this took. Right. It was an hour and seven minutes. I honestly think it could have used another 15 minutes and moments. It felt a little bit rushed. I looked down at my phone in the middle of this and there were only 10 minutes left. And I was like, oh, man, I wish that said 20. I wish that said 25. It part of me is just because I wanted more of it because I liked it so much. But a part of me wants it because I just want more context for the characters i want more i want the scenes to be filled out a little bit more i just you know i like the show so i wanted more of it if you're just listening to the show it means a lot to us if you want to go the extra mile you can follow us on twitter at westworld ryan or at james watches men you can give us a five-star review on the itunes podcast app you can follow us on soundcloud you can review us on google play all the podcast apps what we really would like is if you would just pass on by word of mouth to your friends who might be interested to pop culture HBO recaps uh, that you like the show and they should check it out. Also, we would like to say thank you to our lovely Patreon patrons. That is Bacaman, Craig, John Jers, Lee, and Major Woody. Thank you very much for the money that is helping us host this audio. We do this for the love of the game. We don't have any ads, although if you would like to have an advertisement on said podcast, we aren't against that. So, if you are listening to this and want to give us an ad, please do. But yeah, go look around. We've made a lot of episodes of a lot of different things. Yeah, we're, we're hosting like three-year-old episodes at this point of extremely obscure and esoteric things. Like we've got reviews of Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movies in here. That is the pinnacle of what this podcast can and will be. But you're right. We have a robot movie club. We have a Western movie club. We have Westworld. We have Game of Thrones. And now we have Watchmen. And if you let us know what you'd like us to do in the future, we can also do that. I believe at this point we're going to be doing the pilot of His Dark Materials at the very least and see how that goes. But yeah, tweet us. Let us know what you want us to do in the future. And we'll probably do it. You guys basically own 50%. 51% even of this podcast. So we are very malleable. You can also, by the way, listen to us on Stitcher, on Spotify, anywhere you can get podcasts. You can listen to this. I shouldn't even, I don't even have to tell you guys that you're already listening to it. You're so great. And then join us here next week where we are going to do a Watchmen, either entire miniseries or just season one retrospective, discuss every episode, all the characters, all the plot lines, what we liked, what we loved, what we thought could have been better right we're gonna spend about a half hour talking about adrian and dan dryberg in the same jail cell and what that would be like i'm james and i'm ryan and this has been possibly the only watchmen podcast everyone bring your umbrellas 
It's raining icy squids that murder you. Except for, you know, the 55 other Watch Red yeah, podcasts yeah. that are also out. And except for all the main <laughs> characters who don't get murdered by the squids. So, thanks for listening to us. We really appreciate it. You guys nailed it. You guys did. Is this, is this ASMR? Yes. Yes. <laughs>